We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week. And today's show was recorded at a 2020 election roundtable special event, which was held at the Donghai University in Taichung. I was joined there by regular ICRT commentator and Taiwan This Week guest Brian Hugh from New Bloom and ICRT Central Taiwan correspondent Donovan Smith, neither of whom need any introduction. But the panel also included Albert Cho, who is an associate professor of political science at the Donghai University and an expert on politics in Taiwan, who has conducted research and written extensively on issues including electoral trends, political campaign activities and the legislative power of the president. And also by Max Linzer Lee, an assistant professor of political science at the Donghai University, who specialises in international relations, European studies, Chinese foreign policy and cross-strait ties. And we'll begin as I hand the microphone over to the panel for their opening comments about how they see January's elections shaping up. Now we'll begin with some opening comments and we'll shoot all the way down to the man in the yellow tie. And Donovan is going to give us five minutes about his thoughts on the elections. All right. Um, Yes, I wore the tie because last time everybody showed up with a tie except for me. This time I show up with a tie and nobody else brought their tie. So um, I'm uh, apparently very good at being the the unusual one on the panel. Um, All right. So I'll kick off a little bit with the presidential uh, election. At this point, uh, it's starting to look more and more kind of like a foregone conclusion. Um, the the way things are shaping up of the three major candidates right now, obviously, Tsai Ing-wen is way ahead. Um, now, I expect that uh, Han Guoyu will probably do better than the polls suggest, but I don't think that they're going to be able to close the gap because the gap right now is uh, is over 10%. I think he'll get three or four percent higher uh, because I think his uh, than the polls will suggest because his supporters are extremely uh, they're they're very very passionate about Han Guoyu they are very very uh, enthusiastic I think they'll mobilize very well uh, I think that he's also going to get a lot of people uh, there's a lot of groups uh, for example uh, anti marriage equality. Uh, also, uh, you know, people who are upset about the pension reform, uh, and especially the anti-marriage equality groups, they're very, very well organized, often via church groups, um, and they mobilized heavily in the last election. So I think that he's going to do a little better on turnout than the polls suggest, but not enough to close the double-digit gap. Um, now, the, unless that there is some major scandal involving uh, Tsai Ing-wen, uh, I find that highly unlikely because this is her third election. Uh, and if there are any skeletons in the closet, they probably would have come out already. Now, Han Guoyu may have more skeletons in the closet. And this is a skeleton in the closet is uh, some bad news from his past or some scandal that people don't aren't aware of. He specifically said the DPP was going to drop five nuclear bombs uh, on him uh, before the election. So I'm kind of curious as to what those are. Um, so he may have some uh, he may get hit further between now and the election. Um, James Song or Song Zuyu, um, 
he's he hasn't done uh, the best he's done since the 2000 election is last time he got 12.8 i think percent he might do a little better this time i but i don't think that he's going to uh, close the gap with tying one now on the legislative election side this is really where the action is and this is uh where i i think that a lot of people are concentrating their their uh energy and their focus and when we're looking at the uh, legislative election, there are there's a lot of strong winds blowing, helping the KMT and helping the DPP. So how it's all going to come break down is going to be very interesting for the KMT right now. As I mentioned, the voter turnout hands passionate supporters that will help with the party list and also with their local uh, candidates. Um, the. Uh, and then also the anti-marriage equality, again, very well organized. This will help the KMT. Uh, the last couple election cycles were anti-incumbent. Um, however, that wave may have crested last uh, last with the last local elections uh, last year. So the wave kind of went from to the DPP in 2016. Last year it went toward the KMT, but it seems to be receding away from the KMT now, but doesn't appear to be moving toward the DPP. And that's the interesting thing. So if we look at p party list uh, polling, um, the KMT is only doing a little bit better than they, they did last time. They got 28 point something percent last time uh, on the party list. The polls are all over the place right now. Um, but most of them have the KMT in the upper 20s to the low 30s. So they might do a little bit better than they did last time on the party list uh, than they did last time. But it's not looking like they're going to get a lot more. Um, where the KMT has their, their best hope uh, or their best chances at picking up a lot of seats for the, uh, for the legislative UN is in the geographical district. Um, they traditionally have done very well here. Uh, they have uh, the local patronage factions backing them up in rural areas. Um, they have a, a long-standing history. They have candidates that have uh, a lot of name recognition. So I think that the, they are competitive there, but the DPP has the benefit of incumbency. Um, now, the, DP, the KMT has a couple of problems that are unique to this election cycle. Uh, and one advantage. The one advantage that they have um, is that, uh, again, like I mentioned, the turnout, um, but they have, um, well, I'll get back to it in a minute, but the disadvantages that they have um, coming into this one is I think that they're going to do weaker in central Taiwan and in Kaohsiung than they were hoping. Uh, and the reason is, is that in Kaohsiung, Taichung, and Zhanghua, uh, particularly Taichung and Zhanghua, which are central battleground uh, areas, there's what, what's called buyer's remorse. If the latest Commonwealth poll on uh, popularity of administrations throughout Taiwan, Han Guoyu's uh, Kaohsiung mayor's administration was last in the country out of 22. Second to last was Lu Xiuyan here in Taichung. Fourth from the bottom was uh, Wang Huimei, the Zhanghua County Commissioner. So there's a lot of, and if the elections were reheld for the mayor of Taichung and Kaohsiung, uh, the KMT would lose both. 
So right now there's a, a lot of voters who came out for the KMT last time that won't this time. They may swing back to the DPP or may not come back, come out at all. And that's in these key central areas. Uh, um, and on the other hand, well, Hangul has the advantage of having passionate supporters who will come out and vote for him. The problem that they face is that he's not very popular with the public at large. And normally the presidential candidate helps bring out the voters for the party as well as for themselves. So I so at the end of the day, I think the KMT is going to pick up seats but I don't think they're going to get the majority back. Um, I don't, and I don't, I think they're going to be quite far from gaining the majority back. Now, the bad news for the DPP is I don't think they're going to do all that well either. Last time they did very well on the party list. They're not looking very good on the party list this time. So they're going to be in tough battles with the KMT in geographical districts. Um, so again, a lot of this is going to depend on what geographic district it is. It's going to be individual to each area, who the candidates are, what the past histories are. So there's going to be a lot of variation. I think the KMT, by the way, is going to do a little bit better in southern uh, conservative rural areas than they have traditionally, uh, largely on the back of anti-marriage equality. So they're going to do better in some areas and may pull out some surprises uh, that we haven't seen in the past. But generally speaking, they're still going to have trouble defeating uh, DPP incumbents. Now, there's been a lot of talk about third parties. Um, I think and independent candidates, I think that they have a maximum cap out of maybe 12 seats out of 113 in the legislature. Now, the reason I say that is in the geographical districts, they are going to have a lot of trouble beating the, the big, well-known and well-funded and with well-staffed DPP and KMT. They might win uh, Hong Tzu-yong, for example, as an independent, might win in Tanzu and uh, Holi. Uh, and there's a few others that maybe Freddie Lim might win. And there's a few surprises in geographical districts, but generally they don't have the, the, the power to do it. Where they may do well is on the party list. They might get as much as a quarter uh, of the electorate will vote for them on the party list, and that will give them. That could give them. You know, this could be uh, this could be the PFP. It could be the uh, the People's First Party. It could be the Taiwan People's Party, Coenza's party. Um, the NPP might survive. Uh, they're still polling at just over five percent, which is the minimum amount you need. So we might see. Um, uh, you know, six, seven, eight seats with some independents, maybe 10, 11, 12 for third parties and independents. Long term, the, uh, and I'll wrap this up in just a second. I don't know where I am on time. Okay. Keep going. Okay. It's rolling. Keep going. <laughs> um, all right. So the last thing that I'm really watching here is in the aftermath of this election, what happens to Wu Duani? Because it looks like Hanguoyu is going to lose and lose badly. And if they don't do well in the legislative election, uh, which is looking, they're not going to win back the six. They're, they're aiming to get 60 seats. I think they're going to be far from that. Um, and already uh, with the party list that just came out of legislative candidates, which is extremely unpopular, 
uh, Eric Chu or Zuli uh, Luan has come out against it. How Long Bin came out against it. Uh, all kinds of KMT party heavyweights have come out against it. Uh, there's already a candidate for party chair uh, to defeat uh, Wu Duani. But Wu Duani, in theory, could stay in uh, as the KMT party chair until May of 2021, I think. So he's got a lot of time left. But if if this election doesn't go well, which is what it's looking like, he, the tradition is he's going to have to step down and uh, uh, he's going to have to step down and – then there's going to be a big fight over who's going to be the party chair. Uh, I think their most successful candidate, if they can convince him to run, would be Hoyoi, um, uh, the new Taipei city mayor. Um, oh, so I've lost the voice of God. <laughs> um, I, so, anyway, so the um, uh, he's the one I'd be watching for the long term um, for the part for the KMT long term is what does Hoyoi do? If he runs for party chair, that will strengthen the party significantly. If he doesn't, they don't really have any other really good candidates for party chair. Uh, if he leaves the party, that would be a disaster for them. So he's the one I, I'd be watching. They don't really have any really good candidates other than him at this point. Right. Lot to, Max, a lot to digest from Donovan down the end of the table there. Elections coming up. What do you think? Do you agree with him? Disagree with him? What about his predictions about Udini? Okay, surprise, because I saw I'm not the next, but suddenly it's um, come to me. It's fine. <laughs> okay, first, it's great honor I can join this uh, conversation because Albert have me, and uh, basically, you all know. Uh, sitting here should be Professor Shen because he has a class and uh, also he supports this meeting. Anyway, I think people you sitting on here, you are the key person to decide this election because we all know young people are the key for who can win this election. However, you don't go to vote. That's the key question. And uh, as Donovan said, the support of Han Guoyu, he's a very association, and uh, they always go to vote. So that's why you are so important right now. And in this part, I agree with you. But however, in my view, this election is different with last time because the Hong Kong issue, the China issue, the U.S.-China trade war all cause about Taiwan's future. And uh, our next president, of course, will also decide our future as well. And then, so how about the policy? If we want to think who is the best possible president for us, and we already know Chai, because she already do this job for almost four years, but we don't know how about Han Guoyu? But now he's Kaohsiung mayor, and uh, we are worried about his performance. So, but I shouldn't, you know, ask you or to tell you which one you should vote for. However, you should know this election is pretty and very important, and uh, you need you to consider very, very deeply. And I think I go for surely first. Yeah, yeah. There, some interesting facts, small around there. 
Um, yeah, I think uh, what's interesting. I agree with much of Donovan's assessment. Uh, I think the presidential election does look at this point as though Tsai will win, barring any last-minute contingencies. And in terms of legislature, it does look like the KMT will come back in some form. It's a question if the DPP can maintain a majority, which will affect Tsai's second term and her ability to do things. But I also agree that 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 is the situation. This kind of contention. Um, so what I think is interesting, though, is the question of these outside uh, factors on Taiwan currently. Hong Kong is one that people raise frequently, as I, many people in this audience, I'm sure, were watching what's going on in Hong Kong Polytechnic University last night. And then there's a the question of the U.S.-China trade war. Uh, re- just recently, China sent another carrier group near Taiwan. Um, we also don't know what Donald Trump will do. We also don't know what Xi Jinping will do. But in that sense, what is the effect on Taiwanese politics? And sometimes, as I think we found out in the past two elections, voters sometimes do act very strongly on domestic issues without paying attention to international issues. Uh, the international community, for example, a lot of international media has already taken the view that elections are basically foregone conclusion because of Hong Kong. This will lead people to vote for the DPP and for Tsai Ing-wen, and this is that's how it will play out. And I'm not sure necessarily that is actually the case. Uh, for example, one looks at uh, the KMT and the party list and how heavily uh, people accuse it of being pro-CCP in terms of the candidates that it listed. And this caused controversy, and they revised the list, and Tio Yi claims that he you know, resigned on his own or left the list on his own, which maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was actually forced to. But I think this list actually shows, interestingly, that the KMT has – its assessment of Taiwanese politics has not – led it to try and shift away from a pro-unification stance. And I think that could also that is also key to pay attention to. Uh, one notes that Taipei Mayor Ko Wenzhou, informing his new political party, the Taiwan People's Party, uh, he began as a candidate that was much more, seen as much more pro-Taiwan, but he has drifted increasingly uh, pro-China, as many people would see it, uh, and he has lashed out at the DPP many times for not endorsing him, uh, seeming to begrudge the DPP, and taken actually a pretty firm line despite these current events in Hong Kong, continuing to conduct cross-strait exchanges. And so then in that case, is then why, if Hong Kong and China and fear of China is such a big factor on Taiwan, then why is this continuing to happen from politicians? Why are they continuing to engage in this political behavior, which would seem irrational then? And I think that that actually points to some questions about how the Taiwanese voter electorate will behave. Uh, sometimes cross-strait issues is not the first thing that flares into their head when they're considering who to vote for. Sometimes it is other considerations. And I think that's the wild card here. All right. Um, in my perspective, I think that uh, Donovan's analysis is uh, most likely on the right track, even though uh, I do want to warn uh, people in public that don't overestimate the victory of Tsai Ing-wen and also DPP. Uh, because don't ever forget that uh, just last year, just of last year, uh, Tsai Ing-wen and also DPP lost the election in Kaohsiung, the place where uh, DPP has a full control over it for more than 20 years. But in the end, that uh, you know, the the whole uh, chemistry and also the climate changed radically. Okay, that's the first of all. And also, I I, I kind of want to correspond or kind of address uh, Donovan's uh, argument that uh, I, I think in terms of the seats of legislative UN uh, next year, I think uh, DPP will control no more than 25 seats, okay? And, well, I mean, excuse me, I, I, I said it wrong, but I mean uh, KMT. KMT will control no more than 25 seats. But for the DPP parts, I think that the legislative UN I don't think that Tsai Ing-wen and also DPP, uh, because of the party list parts, uh, in, in terms of the party list, DPP party list, I don't think it's, it's, it's very good either, uh, even though uh, we do see a very terrible party list from KMT side. Um, 
One of my friends, uh, Wang, Wang Hongen, uh, he's a currently an assistant professor uh, in an in American university. He actually did a, a little bit of analysis about the KMT's party list. He found that uh, the party list, the KMT party list, is even more conservative than four years ago. And the candidates in the front uh, seats, the, the more front, the more unpopular those KMT candidates are. So, you know, we sort of can see that the whole KMT party uh, becomes more backwards and more conservative than four, four years ago. And that's not good for the uh, future of the party, especially when uh, they just won uh, last year and a little bit glimpse of hope for them to kind of progress. But still, they kind of stay there and does not really uh, move forward. So that's kind of bad to them. And also, uh, I would like to kind of uh, go deeper in terms of the reform uh, in uh, on the parts of KMT is that... Um, uh, the younger generation, the came tiers, uh, politicians like uh, uh, the hopeful in the future, uh, like Zhang Jichen, the current legislator in Fengyuan, as well as Jiang Wang'an, the legislators, kind of the celebrity uh, in Taipei. I mean, all of them are not happy about the party list, the selection, but they did not really protest enough, uh, except for uh, the uh, city councilor uh, from Taipei, uh, Xi Hongting, and also other, like, uh, some other, like, not as high-profile uh, city councilors in Taipei. They actually showed up that night uh, in front of the KMT headquarters to protest against the party list. But other than them, I don't see you know strong kind of protest you know, from within. So that's kind of show as a, shown as a crisis for the KMT. Uh, so in that, I kind of pessimistic about the KMT's future. Um, even though DPP really did not do that well either in the past four years. Uh, but also, on the other hand, I think a lot of uh, people, like swing voters, they do not necessarily cast the ballots for DPP, even though they did not like the, uh, the candidate's option from the party list from the KMT side. They might turn their votes towards the third party, uh, specifically uh, for the candidate's I mean, the party list, uh, like a PLP and even the uh, People First Party and even the TPP, the Taiwan People's Party. So I, I think for, for the two new parties, they will gain more seats. In this uh, notion, I think I'm, I'm, I'm with uh, Donovan that uh, uh, I think the C, my estimates is that the seats will go up to seven or even eight seats. So that's basically my, my current comment. Now, of course, Brian, if Hang Yu is elected president, he's already said he will repeal the government policies that it all pushed through earlier this year and last year and the year before, that being focusing on the pensions reform, the labour laws. What, what do you think these policies are going to be for the election, Brian? How do the public understanding these policies, do you think? And name the top policies, the domestic policies, which could push the election in one way or the other. I think that, as with past elections, economic growth will actually play a key determinant. Uh, do you, people vote for a candidate that they will think will improve Taiwan's economy, which has been stagnating for so long? And what is interesting is that the economy has actually been doing better under the Tsai administration, but people do not feel this in terms of how uh, – because of the fact that salaries remain low and have not been rising. And that's why Han would center, for example, economics with his uh, famous slogan, Fadatai. And so um, that, there's, that, there's that issue. And I think the issue is always then, uh, in terms of policy, is it actually that people can feel this? 
Um, I mean, just we were talking just a little earlier about air pollution in Taichung, that things were getting better, but people did not feel this, and people perceived things as getting worse, and therefore that led to the results of the uh, legislative elections in which Ding Jialong was really attacked because of air pollution. And so then that's the question regarding policy overall, and I think pension reform, that's another issue too. Um, pension reform was something which would affect all of Taiwan, and the view is that people that are uh, public servants, teachers, or members of the military were having very generous pensions as a legacy of the authoritarian period because of the fact that this was a way to secure political loyalty from the, this groups of people, these groups of people that were necessary for the functioning of the government, uh, for the bureaucracy, and so forth. But it became a bigger issue then regarding just the fact that uh, Despite the fact that this, these reforms were done to ensure that the system would not go bankrupt, it became a broader issue just around the social security and social welfare system, I think, in Taiwan. And I think that's why sometimes this, this, this has become such a big demand, in spite of the fact that other elements of society may actually welcome this, uh, that this would actually save the system, because it raised these questions regarding Taiwan's economy overall. And so Han Gui, when he actually claims that he will restore the old pension system, I think people sometimes are actually a little confused how that would affect them themselves. They imagine that this would actually benefit them, too, and the time mission did something which would actually affect their own pensions because sometimes that is people don't actually pay attention to the effects of government policies. Sometimes they don't always realize the concrete effects on their lives. Uh, and so I think that's, that's one of the big questions then. Domestic policies in the election, of course, Brian just talk about, talked about pension reform. What about energy? Obviously, Hang Yu says he'll restart the fourth nuclear power plant, whereas the DPP is still going, no nuclear power. Well, actually, if you look at back uh, at the elections last year, there was several multiple referendums. One of them is about the energy uh, policy, right? And uh, for those who are for the nuclear plants, nuclear energy, they are in upper upper hand. But uh, later on, uh, the Tsai Ing-wen administration actually uh, uh, kind of have a hold on this. I mean, on the top of that, also the gay marriage issue was kind of debated as well. Even though uh, the the election result last year uh, shows that uh, the anti-gay marriage uh, kind of camp. Uh, was in upper hand, but in the end, that uh, the Chinese administration actually put the put this law into action. Okay, so I don't I don't see any problem with the uh, Han Guo in terms of his stance, his firm stance on this uh, pro and pro nuclear energy. I, I think it's he, he and his camp is pretty clear on this. However, um, I don't think this is the best strategy for him to do because as a as a candidate, as a presidential candidate who lags behind, he really has to remain vague on these issues so that he can maximize uh, the supports from the intellectual voters as well as those uh, you know, college graduates like you guys. But he, uh, he obviously is like sort of like, you know, in my turn, kidnapped by those uh, radical wins that, uh, you know, anti-gay, uh, 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 anti-gay and also against the uh, nuclear energy, I mean, for, for nuclear energy. So, so that he, he sort of like minimize his uh, support base, given the fact that he does not have that much uh, uh, support base already, and he should have done something else. So in this, I think there's a lot of problems with his uh, personal consultants. As far as I know, uh, my personal information from the people from him, uh, around him is that um, uh, his strategy was sort of like narrowed down by his uh, small, tiny group of consultants that they don't really talk to the external world, not even 
to those political elites in the KMT headquarters. So that really worries about a lot of KMT uh, you know, elites that you know, they really try to help, but just you know, find no way to help, to reach out to the Hangui's uh, mind. And Hangui, on the other hand, as you guys might speculate, which I think is probably true, is that he's not really... Uh, book smart. I mean, he might be a street smart people that he knows to, to how to talk to the uh, grassroots people. He knows how to get in touch with the, you know, earth. But in the end, that as a president of Taiwan, you really have to articulate and also your mindsets, also your perspective need to be more global. And also you, you, you need to be able to have the, uh, uh, you know, capability of talking about national issues as, as well as the cross-strait issues. But he obviously kind of lagged behind in this. So that um, even though Hans Kemp uh, keeps saying that, you know, Hango is not that bad and, and, and he, he, you know, could, could just do something better than you imagined. But so far, we haven't seen that uh, really uh, on the table that, you know, I, I think a lot of accusation and even speculation perhaps is on, on the right track. But still, I do want to uh, state that uh, DPP still, you know, had a lot of problem. Like, like what I say in in a previous conversation is that um, the party list, the DPP party list, is not so uh, great either. Because uh, for young people, you guys, you probably can look into the party list. There's still a lot of uh, it, it, it could be considered the results of the uh, faction allocation, right? You, you see a lot of uh, uh, like a party list, like from the uh, Yoshi Kun. Uh, Su uh, Zhenchang and even Tsai Ing-wen, they all have their favorite, favorite people in the list. But people tend to ignore this part as opposed to the even more terrible part of the list from KMT. So that all the attention was on the KMT rather than DBP. Which is not saying that DBP is great, but it is to suggest that you know, KMT is so terrible, so awful, that uh, we intellectuals, even educated people, we should not support KMT. So that's, you know, to me, it's not the best scenario for democracy to work. But unfortunately, always the case like that. In vague on topics of interest to the public, not good. They should not be vague, or should they be vague? Um, what should I say? Because I 100% agree our saying, but but I think Han Guoyu, he didn't win the city mayor by policy but by the strategy. What kind of strategy? People who doesn't like DPP and uh, can make people angry about status quo. So that's his strategy. So you see, Han Goyi, he against all DPP's policy. That's his the best policy. But not, So we didn't call it policy, we call it strategy. And uh, I think he's smart. Because in this status, how can he win? It's hard, but if I can make people feel I'm angry about right now, then it's the possible. That's his best strategy so far. Swing the election. Well, I think the, that uh, I, I think actually Brian and, and Albert talked about this at length, and I, I think they pretty well covered it. Um, I, I, I agree that e- economics, economic issues, are, is probably the most critical one. Uh, marriage equality is is for the majority of the public. I think they don't care; they're not going to vote on that. But for a certain segment of the population, care about it a lot, and they'll they'll mobilize for that. 
the pension reform um, was the 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 DPP's pension reform is actually was uh, polling showed that it was actually popular with a broad public. But the people who are impacted, again, that's a small percentage of the population, but they're going to be highly motivated. I don't think your average voter cares very much about energy policy. Um, uh, so I, I think for as far as domestic industries, I think, I think the uh, issues, I think they pretty well covered it. Forum. Oh, oh, Although I can no. actually comment on uh, the strategy of, Han- of Hanguoyu. Certainly, Donovan. Um, <laughs> um, the... the Something that – and you kind of – it's that you touched on this. Um, I'll I'll add a little bit more. One of the things that made uh, Han Guoyu's campaign last year so remarkable, and one of – I think the reason why he was such a – he was partly riding a wave of just an anti-DPP wave. But the thing is that the way that he campaigned was really quite remarkable. He was relentlessly positive, and this is very interesting. He was a very positive campaigner. He talked about hope, positive things. He's, he talked about how he didn't want to slander his opponent. He was very, you know, he, so he was very, very kind of a, an optimistic, friendly candidate. This time around, he's de- angry. He's defiant. He's swearing. Um, and he's losing, I think, a lot of the support that he built up in the last election from his positivity. Now, he wasn't very good at coming up with very coherent uh, you know, policies or things like that, but he was so positive, I think that carried him a long way. And he's not – he's he's giving up on that, and he hasn't really done a very good job of communicating, as you guys noted, a new set of policies that, uh, you know, that are going to drive passion or interest. Magic. Brian, over to you. And foreign policies that could swing the election. I mean, do you think Joe Blow, member of the public, cares what Washington thinks about Taiwan, less than thinks that Beijing thinks about Taiwan, or Beijing is more an important place when we look at foreign policy? And so this is one of the big questions about every election. If we look at things historically, unification versus independence is the largest and most important political cleavage in Taiwan. Historically has been, and I think it still is. Uh, However, then... We noticed that the KMT has adopted some oddly incoherent strategies regarding, for example, Hong Kong, uh, insisting that it's actually the Tsai administration who would lead one country, two systems to be realized in Taiwan through provoking Beijing by pushing for Taiwanese independence. And there's some contradictions there that the KMT is and always has been the historically pro-China party. Um, The KMT... Uh, one country, two systems as a notion was really formulated to appeal to Taiwan. The KMT has hinged on this in the past. And so I think it's very interesting, too, that, uh, for example, the KMT is trying to split right now the notion of the 1992 consensus from one, China, one country, two systems, as though there was something different. And what it pushes for, the 1992 consensus, is not the same thing as one country, two systems. Um, but then with the DPP, then, it has to maintain the kind of same position it has in the beginning, uh, from the beginning of the Thai administration, that it does not push for independence, uh, explicit over independence in the matter of, for example, Chen Shui-bian, but it wishes to maintain the status quo in a, in a way that will not draw Taiwan closer to China. And then this has been accomplished by Thai making many statements on Hong Kong, stating that Taiwan supports Hong Kong, uh, that this is not what uh, a democracy should have uh, take place under it, uh, calling for dialogue in Hong Kong and so forth. Um, 
but then people will always – I think the other thing that's interesting about Taiwanese political uh, elections is then people accuse us of being a false issue, you know, jiaiti. And this, this comes up continually, and the KMT now claims this, claiming that the Tsai administration is leveraging on this issue to create an atmosphere of terror, to leverage on so-called dried mango strips, you know, mangogan, uh, to, uh, uh, to stir up fear. And will this actually resonate with the Taiwanese public? I don't know. But I think that uh, it's interesting that it's come up in this form this time around. I mean, I don't think it's – again, like I said earlier, I don't actually think that the Taiwanese public will always vote uh, – thinking only of independence unification concerns. Voting for the KMT actually sometimes does not mean actually supporting unification either, but you actually believe that this will achieve economic growth in a way that maybe will uh, allow for some distance from China for enough time to buy more time for Taiwan in, in this very strange way. And so it's a question. But this will actually come up multiple times, and I think candidates will continue to think of new formulations on how to deal with the changing complexities of cross-strait relations. Max, of course, there was a lot said about the previous election where Tsai Ing-wen, well, basically Maing Joe lost, Tsai Ing-wen won. There was a lot said before that election that the election was based on Taiwan-China ties. Do you think this election has as much to do with Taiwan-China ties or is less central on Taiwan-China ties? Uh, that's a really good question. Compared with last presidential election, I think last time is more about domestic issue. Because my government is already created the best cross-trade relation, but now these four years we suffer quite very very tight cross-trade relation. But compare your last question to to Brian is I think Washington is very smart to play the same distance. At least it shows the same distance between DPP and the KMT. They, they don't want to show the people that I prefer Thai more than Han, at least. But China is very obviously the only choice. Not only, but they prefer pro-China. That's Han Guoyu or James Song. But we know James Song have no any chance to win. And uh, so how about Chinese people think about this situation? One is American always try to be our friend, and the other part is maybe our Taiwan's future only in China. But however, at the same time, he want to united Taiwan. That less allow Taiwanese people to consider this much. I, that's what I think. All right. Um, can I comment a little bit on the strategy on Han Guoyi part, or yeah, is that ahead, long gone? Okay. Um, but it's just then I will jump to your point. Well, I mean, in terms of Zili's point, I think I mean it was, it was awesome to me because uh, and also Donovan talked about the Han Guoyi strategy uh, back to um, last year, and he was not really policy oriented, but instead he was like show his kind of charisma or like charismatic personality, sort of. Um, you know, I, I do want to offer one additional observation. I think that some people ignore, which I think is very interesting, is that uh, uh, Hangui supporters was most likely the supporters for Chen Shui-bian eight years ago. Even though, you know, even though uh, Chen Shui-bian uh, from DPP, Hangui from KMT, but if you look at the components or the contents of those supporters, uh, they're little educated, rural people, older, and also. Uh, sort of like in the southern part of Taiwan. And how, how, how does that happen? How does that happen? I, I think that really leads, to, leads up to a new phenomenon in Taiwan is that uh, I think the class conflict becomes even more salient now, as of now, compared with before. Okay, because uh, we can see that the wealth gap between the 
uh, northern tai- Taiwan and uh, southern Taiwan. I think it increases. Okay, so, so that part of the supporters, they feel they left out, especially when Tsai Ing-wen kind of changed DPP in a way that it becomes more uh, middle class, more educated, and, and a lot of uh, Xiaoyin supporters, as you can see, that is very young and also very urban-minded. So that those supporters, older supporters in the southern part of Taiwan, they turn to support Hangui. Uh, uh, that, that's, that's one of the observations I heard from you know, you know, analysis somewhere that I thought was interesting. Back to your point. I think the momentum now is for Tsai Ing-wen, Tsai administration. Why? Uh, think about in the past four years, uh, given the fact that Donald Trump uh, took oath and became the U.S. president, and how many acts, all of them are low-biting, passed the United States. Taiwan Travel Act, National Defense Authorization Act, and even the Hong Kong Act now is in the Senate. It's about to pass uh, in the near future shortly. Okay, so I think uh, in the past four years, we can see that, um, because in the past, for example, uh, under the Chen Shui-bian administration, he keeps saying that um, uh, United States is with us, even though George uh, W. Bush, uh, you know, the junior Bush was not with him, and even kind of gave Chen Shui-bian the nickname as a troublemaker, right? But Tsai Ing-wen this time is sort of different, because in the past four years, I, I sound like a Tsai Ing-wen supporter, I, but I won't, I won't remind you that I'm neutral here, okay? So, but Tsai Ing-wen actually enjoyed the uh, kind of performance uh, by Donald Trump in terms of this legalization of the you know, protection of Taiwan, United States. So I think that for those people who support independence or just walk in this direction, they do feel the sense of efficiency. And also they see the the results out there. It's it's not like only uh, something that's words or in the air. It's something that's in action. Okay, so I think Taiwan is getting tremendous benefits in this regard. And that really impacts not only core supporters from DPP, but also impacts uh, swing voters, okay? Uh, people like uh, middle class or even people who do business. Like we all know that there is a uh, trade war between U.S. and China, right? And a lot of businessmen in mainland, they are uh, returned to Taiwan. And even some of the American business in China, they are returned to the United States. And even though we know that this development indicates a uh, right-wing developments worldwide. And it's kind of like uh, the West and East don't talk to each other anymore. But on the other hand, this is actually indicates a chance for Taiwan to grow and to preserve its uh, energy. Uh, and then Taiwan is able to continue to fight against China in the future. Okay, so I think the, 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 the win now is in the hand of Taiwan's administration. On the other hand, Han Guoyu, I, I think he's, he's not doing well in terms of his policy toward China because uh, some strategists, strategists uh, advise him to, to either take the approach to uh, you know, say something about the protest in Hong Kong. But he did not say that. Instead of doing that, he actually had a close contact with the uh, administration in Hong Kong, the Zhongyan Ban. And... You know, so Han Goi, on the, on the one hand, he seems to be okay with the position that you know, for democracy, for human rights. But also, on the other hand, he's not really, uh, you know, do this with determination. So that put him in this vague position that he does not win any voters. So to me, it's quite a mess over there. 
that even though you know he perhaps compared with Taiwan could be closer to China, but he does not do much in terms of this. And, and not to mention how, if you want to, you know, identify you, yourselves, yourself as a, as a as a candidate close to China, but how he does not even go that far. You've been listening to the first part of a two-part Taiwan This Week election special recorded at the Donghai University in Taichung, where I was joined by Donovan Smith, Brian Hugh, Albert Cho and Max Linzer Lee. To hear part two, please, well, you press the button that says Taiwan This Week podcast, part two for this week. Thank you.